Thank you so much, choir, for blessing us this morning. Let's give God some praise for the choir again. You join me in the book of Isaiah, chapter 59. Isaiah, chapter 59. And I only want to read verse 17. Isaiah, chapter 59, and verse 17. reading this morning from the New Living Translation, Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 17. He put on righteousness as his body armor and placed the helmet of salvation on his head. He clothed himself with the robe of vengeance and wrapped himself in a cloak of divine passion word of the Lord you may be seated. Amen. What is a warrior? That's the question I want to try to unpack for us this morning. What is a warrior? As early as the 1800s, at least the record indicates unto us the Quakers were perhaps the leading figures, the, arguably the groundbreaking workers of what we called abolitionist. They took on the fight early to confront the injustice of slavery, and they fought to the point that their skill would permit them to do so. Quakers, as you know, were not people of war. In fact, Quakers will suffer prison sentences before they allow themselves to engage in warfare because there's a belief in their heart based on Exodus chapter 20 that we should not kill each other. But their skill was not quite adequate enough to engage in warfare in terms of being a warrior. So somewhere between the 1820s and around 1830, they arrived three personalities that we ought to be well aware of that not only depicted the warrior-like spirit, but left for us a prime example of what a warrior should be. As early as 1820, Denmark Vissi is known as a very determined, rebellious spirit who risked his life in Virginia that he might lead a rebellion against slave owners. 1830 lended us a very prophetic rebellious warrior spirit by the name of Nat Turner. And Nat Turner led that rebellion, of course, in the Hamptons that eventualized in his death. 
What is disturbing on one hand and disappointing on the other to me is that in between that period around 1823 to 25, there was a young man who was born in North Carolina in 1759 and somehow managed to amass an education and left North Carolina and migrated to Boston. His name is David Walker. And when I ask persons, do you know who David Walker is? Very few know of the works of David Walker. Worst, they have not read what was produced, the only real written document we have, produced by David Walker that is known as the David Walker Appeal. And that was David Walker's observation as he learned, born to a free mother, his father died before he was born, but observing how his fellow countrymen in North Carolina were enslaved like animals, he migrated to Boston and began to agitate those who were in favor of slavery. And he wrote this appeal, which was previously entitled, David Walker's Appeal to the Colored Citizens of the United States. His objective was to raise the consciousness to those who were of African descent. And I want to close on merely identifying one line that he makes clear in the appeal. He says, I quote, if the master will not free the slave, the slave must seize his own freedom and at whatever cost in blood because death is better than life under slavery conditions. I raise that point because at least in the personality of David Walker, along with the work of Denmar Vissi as well as Nat Turner, when I read the biographies of those three men, oh, might I add, there's one other sister in 1891, had it not been for her warrior-like attitude to bring about an end to lynching in America, I would hate to see how far lynching would, would lend itself even into the 21st century. Her name was Ida B. Wells. And Ida B. Wells was ran out of America because of her stand against lynching and went to Europe, to England specifically, and allowed the Englishmen to hear her plea and utilize international politics to put pressure on America to end lynching. At least she came back leading an anti-lynching campaign which brought lynching down tremendously as a result of her warrior-like effort. And I call her a warrior because no man had stood up to the powers to be to address the issue of lynching. And here she was, a little girl from Cleveland, Ohio, took a stand 
and said that lynching of the human body was wrong and as a result, she took the warrior mentality and faced the powers that sat on the throne of America and told them that lynching was wrong and as a result, this country introduced lynching laws because a single woman took the warrior-like perspective and fought against an injustice. She, along with Nat Turner and Denmar Vissi and David Walker, is what I believe are modern-day warriors for us to understand that we were intended to be warriors based on how God designed human conflict. I want to lift up a couple of things in reference to the scripture when we talk about warrior-like experience and personality because I want it to be made clear that as a Christian, you are no less than a warrior. You are called to be a warrior and you have plenty examples in scripture to mimic in terms of what a warrior should be like. If you wanna actually trace your African heritage back to warrior likeness in scripture, you need only go to Genesis chapter 10 and lift up verse eight and nine where the text says that Cush became the father of Nimrod and he was the first on earth to become a mighty warrior and a mighty hunter for the Lord. That's revolutionizing to me because that lets me know that I would be more shaming if I weren't willing to follow my ancestors who was warriors when it even came to the kingdom of God. The Bible says in Jeremiah 20 and verse 11 that the Lord himself is a dreaded warrior. That means that every country that looked on God became fearful because God gave the impression and the persona that he was a warrior to be dealt with. Jeremiah says that my persecutors, my persecutors will stumble and they will not overcome me. They will be greatly shamed for they will not succeed for their eternal dishonor will never be forgotten in the eyes of God. Exodus chapter 15 and verse 3, Moses in coming over the Red Sea and in crossing into the place of freedom, began to identify God as a warrior. Listen to what Moses says. The Lord is a warrior and the Lord is his name. Moses says that God is a warrior because the way that he stood up and fought against Pharaoh who attempted to succumb us I've got to take the same demeanor, says Moses, and remember that if my God is a warrior, then I've got to be a likewise warrior indeed. Isaiah 42 and 13 says that the Lord will go forth before you like a warrior. He will arouse his zeal like a man of war. He will utter a shout and say to his children, he will cry out with a roar cry. He will raise a war cry and he will prevail against his enemies. Listen to what the Bible is saying. If your God is a warrior, then what makes you think you should be less than a warrior? Listen to the text. Isaiah again. 
says unto us that God will raise a war cry within us. There is in our spirit, says Isaiah, an identification with God that God wants you to put on your warrior-like mentality. He wants you to begin to realize the importance of being a fighter for the kingdom of God. Zechariah chapter 10 beginning in verse 5 says it this way they shall be like mighty men in battle trampling the foe in the mud of the streets they shall fight because the Lord is with them as a warrior and they shall put to shame the riders on horses says God I will strengthen the house of Judah I will save the house of Joseph I will bring back because I have compassion on them and they shall be as though I had not rejected them for I am the Lord their God and I will answer them. Then Ephraim shall be like a mighty warrior and their hearts shall be glad as with wine. Their children shall see it and be glad. Their hearts shall rejoice in the Lord I will whistle for them and gather them, for I have redeemed them, and they shall be as many as were before. And though I scattered them among the nations, yet in far countries they shall remember me, and with their children they shall live and return. Zephaniah, the minor prophet, says it this way in chapter 3. The Lord your God is with you. He is the mighty warrior who saves you he will take great delight in you in his love he will never rebuke you but will rejoice over you with singing in other words the bible makes clear that not only is god a warrior for us but god says i want you to be a warrior for me as well so what's a warrior a warrior is that brave and that experienced fighter who has and who will engage in warfare. Might I add, you can't be a warrior without being in war. You have got to have some warfare experience in order to be qualified as a warrior. One that has shown great vigor, one that has depicted great courage, and one that is not afraid to demonstrate aggressiveness. A warrior is one who is disciplined internal and externally. Here's this critical. This is critical. Without discipline, why would one not stay alive long enough to call themselves a warrior if they can't discipline themselves to be a warrior in the first place? One that has adopted, might I enforce again, <clears throat> a mental focus. A mental focus. And that's all I want to lift up this morning. A warrior is one that practices a warrior mentality. No one can develop essential skills of dealing with life, protecting oneself, or facing a foreboding opponent without a focused mind, a focused mind. One who has an attitude of persistence, an attitude of persistence. Warriors just don't quit. 
I don't care how much opposition rises against a warrior, they don't quit. They may get injured, they may get knocked down, they may suffer wounds, they may suffer some level of defeat, but warriors don't quit. One reason why the badger is recognized as perhaps the most tenacious creation in terms of the animal kingdom is because although the badger does not have speed, the badger is relatively slow. The badger, though, has endurance and perseverance. And the badger will track you down, no matter how long it takes the badger to get to you, it has two things to its advantage. It has an incredible sensitive nose that will pick up the trail of its opponent and its prey, and it has unbelievably claws on its feet that will help it dig and dig and dig until it gets to its opponent to which it's fighting for. But the badger will fight any animal, large or small, it will not back down because it's a warrior. It will even take on, watch this, a lion who is deemed king of the jungle. And yet a badger will not back down from a lion. It will stand on its hind two legs and it will hiss and it will nip at the feet of that lion. And guess what? A lion will turn around and go away from a badger. Why? Because the badger says, I might be small, but I'm a warrior because that's the way I have been designed. I just came to tell somebody this morning just because you're a Christian don't mean you ought to be somebody's doormat but you got to become a badger. You got to be willing to stand and fight and that might mean you have to put on a good front. Now watch you now. A badger really can't beat a lion. He doesn't have the strength. He doesn't have the attack mode. He doesn't have the weapons to use but a badger knows how to sell a good con game. He can stand up on his two legs and just make it sound like he's the largest animal in the world and you may not have the weapons you think to win the war but every now and then you got to act like there's nothing bigger than you are there's nothing stronger than you are there's nothing powerful than you are and nothing can endure like you can and you got to stand on your hind legs of faith and say for God I live and for God I'll die and in the words of David Walker you got to even be willing to give some blood because rather than to be in suppression to an enemy, it's better to be dead and free. So I just came by to tell somebody, you might have to fight like a warrior, but you better be a warrior because your father who made you and who empowered you and who designed you, designed you to be a warrior. Christians aren't called to be wimps. They're called to be warriors. Persistency is an attitude that you have to develop in the process. But not only that, the warrior faces difficulty, faces pain, faces discomfort, faces discouragement, faces fear, and even the prospect of failure, but never quits. Never throws in the towel. You have to carry a warrior off of the battlefield even in the mode of death because a warrior doesn't know what it means to quit. 
And I think that some Christians have to realize how important it is that we can't be quitters. But we got to remember Paul's words, we are more than conquerors through Christ who strengthens us. So the warrior doesn't quit in the face of failure and his struggles and conflicts are first settled in the mind. They are settled in the mind before it reaches his or her physical resolution. It's a mind game. It's about being disciplined in the mind. One place, the one place that Satan attacks is the mind. Because in attacking the mind, if you weaken the mind, you weaken the being. And once you capture the mind, you've captured the individual. Suppression and bullying and intimidation is all about capturing the individual's mind. Creating a space of fear, creating a space of discomfort, challenging that they might experience pain and discouragement, all in attempt to gain control of the mind. Which is why Paul tells us that we ought to daily make sure that we examine our mind by renewing it. By sitting down and making sure that we go over what's happening and what has happened through the course of the day in the mind because all across the way the opponents have leveled against us all kinds of psychological warfare. And when you engage in psychological warfare, you never have to lift a finger to do physical harm. It's a simple matter of making sure you go at war to the mind. Because if you gain control of the mind, you've got the individual. Understand that Satan wants your mind. If he can get your mind, no matter what God says, it really doesn't resonate in your spirit because your mind is not concentrating on what God said. It's spending more time on what Satan has said in your mind. That's why your mind has got to be filled with the right stuff. You got to be looking at the right stuff. You got to be hearing the right stuff. You got to be reading the right stuff. You got to expose yourself to the right stuff because what you feed your mind will come out eventually in your actions. And if you've got nothing in your mind but junk, then junk is going to eventualize. If you've got nothing in your mind but drama, then drama will eventualize itself. But if you've got power in your mind and joy in your mind and the word in your mind, and victory in your mind and an overcoming mentality and a victorious mentality then you are in control of your mind and not somebody else listen to what the bible says in isaiah 59 god had already given us a clear picture of israel's condition and their condition was forged because look at verse 2 they were simply disobedient as a result of failing to be obedient 
to the word of God, says the text, it separated them from God and God, says Isaiah, did not hear their prayers. Now, your issue may not be because you've been disobedient to God. Your issue might be because you've just not allowed yourself to be trained and disciplined by God. You've not allowed yourself to your mind to be open that it might be filled with the words of God. And as a result, you find yourself disconnected from God as if God doesn't hear you. So look, notice if you will, that verse 17 is not the suggestion that God turns on his people and becomes a warrior. Instead, because of what they've just returned from, which is the exile, God knows best that they need now an example of how to get their mind back unroll that they might begin to walk in the victory that has already been established. When you read the history of Israel, yes, God told them that you will spend 70 years in captivity, but the great thing is they at least knew how long they would be there. And as a result of knowing how long they would be there, the end result would be, if I'm going to be here for 70 years, that must mean that God has something else planned after the 70-year period. And the 70-year was that once that's done, I'm going to bring you out. Remember what he said? For I know the plans that I have for you, plans not to harm you, but to bless you, but to increase you, but to grow you. All you got to do is hang out for 70 years and might I add in the middle of the 70 year period they didn't go hungry they didn't go clothless they didn't go homeless they didn't need anything God still supplied in the midst of 70 year captivity all that they needed in fact their captivity was so good that when it came time to go back to Jerusalem some of the folks said why would I leave Babylon when I got everything I need right here in Babylon God's giving me the mall God's giving me a job, God giving me a co-op, God's giving me a condo, God giving me a home. Why am I going to leave Babylon and go back to Jerusalem where it's desolate, it's destroyed, ain't no church there, we got to rebuild everything. I'm staying right here. And some of the Israelites stayed in Babylon while others said but I got to go back and save Jerusalem because Jerusalem is the homeland Jerusalem is where my heritage is and Jerusalem is where the future is for my children so God says in order for you to go back and get prepared to fight for Jerusalem I got to give you a warrior image so you will know what it means to be a warrior when it comes to standing up for your fight and I just once again stop by to tell somebody this year is going to be a warrior like year because I got a suspicion that somebody going to finally decide I took enough in 2017 I took enough stuff off of people I took enough crap from people I took enough BS from my job I'm going to make some changes this year and I'm going to stand on my feet and I'm going to put on my warrior mentality and in the words of Esther if I perish let me perish but I'm going to change some stuff in 2018 
clap for somebody and tell them I'm going to be a warrior this year. I ain't going to hang around like I did in 2017. But victory is going to be mine this year. I'm going to be an overcomer this year. I'm going to be the head and not the tail. I'm going to be above and not beneath because I am more than a conqueror through Christ who strengthens me. I'm going to be a warrior. Here it is right here in the text. Amen. Amen. Right here in the text. I'm going to be a warrior because a warrior is one who trains and who develops the skills they need for survival. See, the Christians got three primary skills that they can utilize when they got to go to war. Number one, uh, you may not think it's important and you may not think it's significant, but you ought to engage in it every now and then. The, the, the Christian can sing themselves to victory. Yeah, they can sing themselves to victory. Uh, the Bible tells us in 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 20 that uh, there was a war about to take place and Jehoshaphat wanted to know how we're going to win this battle when we are outnumbered by the enemy. We are outnumbered by the enemy. We are outnumbered by the enemy. I'll say it again. We are outnumbered by the enemy. And Jehoshaphat goes back to God and says, Lord, I don't know what we're going to do because, listen, we are outnumbered by the enemy and there's just no way we can defeat our enemy. And God says, oh, that's very easy. Sing yourself to victory. Jehoshaphat said, now how are we going to sing ourselves a victory? Because I ain't never heard nobody winning no war by merely singing. God said, tell you what to do. Get all the folk who know how to carry a tune and put them out in front of the battleground." And when you put them out in front of the battleground, just give them one single instruction. Uh, whenever they see the enemy on the horizon, just start singing. That doesn't sound logical to me. In fact, I wouldn't draft God to be on my strategic planning committee because that just don't make any sense. We're going to go out in front of the enemy and just start singing when we see an enemy. And God says, yeah, trust me, trust me. I've been here before. I know what it means. So go on out there and just start singing. And the Bible says that Jehoshaphat put all the singers out in front of the whole entire nation. And as the enemy arrived, they just start singing. What a friend. We have in Jesus all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege it is to carry everything to God in prayer. Uh, uh, in the background there were some black folk they kind of moved their way up to the front of the line and they started singing through many dangers toils and snares we, we have already come it was grace that brought us safe thus far and, and, and grace will lead us on there was a German by the name of Martin Luther pushed his way up and started saying what a mighty fortress of a God that we serve who is able to handle every enemy that comes up against us I'm just trying to tell you this morning every now and then you got to sing your way to victory you got to start humming when you really don't know why you're humming but go ahead and hum anyway just start singing as if you know the victory is already 
one. The second weapon we got to use is prayer. The book of Acts says that Peter was incarcerated after Herod had already killed James. And when he killed James, he incarcerated, put Peter in jail, and Peter was sitting there in jail, chained. But the Bible says, but the church was back at the house praying for him. <laughs> he was praying for him, and what did God do? The Bible says that when they were praying, uh, Peter was there chained, but God, through the prayer, sent an angel. And see, I, I just want to tell you, sometimes you got to pray your way to victory as a warrior because you can't win the battle by yourself, so God sends an angel. And when you start calling on his name, the Bible says that they were praying and God sent an angel, and the angel, when Peter was in a deep sleep, tapped him on his shoulder and told him, get up, it's time for us to get up out of here. And I don't know about you, but every now and then when I'm praying in a hard time and I can hear the spirit of God coming into my spirit and an angel say, it's time for us to get up out of here now. You've been crying long enough. You've been suffering long enough. You've been toiling long enough. You've been struggling long enough. It's time for you to get up out of here and let's move forward. Watch this. While they were still praying, the angels released Peter from prison. And when Peter stood up, uh, Peter stood up, Peter said, this just can't be. And the angel said, oh, yes, it is. It's, it's, it's me. Listen, don't stand around debating when God begins to open the door. Just walk through the door. Stop trying to figure it out. If it's God, you know it's God. You, you ain't got to worry about the enemy opening doors for you. The Bible says that they were praying and the angel came and released Peter from prison. And then brought him out and Peter got to then once again rationalizing how are we going to get past the guards? The Bible says that a deep sleep came over the guards. And the angel ushered Peter right on past the guards. But if that's not good enough, your Bible will tell you that when they got to the house, they began to knock on the door and a little girl by the name of Rhoda came to the door and when she opened the door, first of all, she asked, who is it? And he said, it's me, Peter. And Rhoda looked back at the crowd and said, somebody outside playing jokes on us because there ain't no way in the world Peter can be here because Peter is in prison. And Peter heard her and Peter said, no, it's really me. Open the door. And when she opened the door, she saw Peter. She ran back and told the rest of the crowd, y'all not going to believe this, but while y'all were praying, while y'all were praying, while y'all were praying, God was opening a door and release Peter. I'm just trying to tell you, sometimes as a warrior, you better know that you got the weapon of prayer to help you get victory when you are outnumbered by the enemy. But then you got the word. In Matthew 4, it says that when Jesus came out of the wilderness, it's, or should I say when Jesus came out of fasting, it was the Holy Spirit who led Jesus into the wilderness to be tested by the enemy. 
And when he was tested by the enemy, he came to him on three different occasions. And on three different episodes, he challenged Jesus to give up his divinity, to give up his royalty, to give up his advantage as the son of God. And each time, Jesus looked at him and said, it is written, man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. God, through Jesus regurgitated Deuteronomy chapter 6 and 8. I'm just trying to tell you, as a warrior, you better know your manual because when you know your manual, you're able to utilize the weapons, the hows inside. Listen, one of the things I'm learning is the more you dabble in computers, the more you realize how many more advantages you have that are not revealed on the surface. A smartphone as well. All these different possibilities and capabilities, I never realized until you just start messing with it and you realize, huh, I didn't know I could do that. Oh, I didn't realize that was in there as well all that was in I can do all that my son tried to tell me dad this thing can do far more stuff than you could ever imagine but you can't know about it until you take the time to learn it I'm just trying to tell somebody one reason why you keep being defeated in your warrior circumstance is because you don't know your manual and because you don't know your manual you don't know all the weapons that you have within your arsenal because I heard God says the weapon of our warfare are not carnal but they are mighty through the pulling down of strongholds and I got to know what weapon to use when I'm addressing a stronghold and some of you just don't know that there's no weapon that is formed against you that can prosper because God has already made it clear that I'm victorious because I'm a warrior watch this I gotta let you go but watch this Isaiah says that God took on the form of a warrior and he put on, watch this, righteousness as his body armor. He put on a helmet of salvation on his head and he clothed himself with a robe of vengeance and he wrapped himself in a cloak of divine passion. Now, if you read that statement very closely, there's a contradiction there. On the one hand, in the first two clauses, God puts on what might be argued as the most difficult in terms of being a warrior. He is making it clear that he's putting on a body armor, he's putting on a helmet, and in verse uh, clause C, he's putting on vengeance. But then the text says he wraps himself in a cloak of compassion. I'm trying to figure out what warrior do you know is in the business of being compassionate at wartime. In fact, any warrior knows that your first priority in defeating is also to slay your enemy. You don't walk into your enemy camp and then just bring them back out. Oh, you got to kill them because that since, listen, one of the reasons why the Romans used crucifixion as a major weapon, because what was it? It was psychological warfare. It also helped everybody realize, don't mess with Roman authority, because if you do, this is going to be your end result. They didn't let you talk smack to them. When you start talking smack, you ended up on a cross, and as a result, everybody in town could see you don't want to bother the Roman Empire. 
That simply says to us that as a warrior, you don't take no prisoners alive. You take them out. And I can't figure out what does God mean by putting on a cloak of divine passion. Well, let me make this point, then I got to let you go because we got to have communion. Watch this. Let me make it clear that there is a difference between being a warrior and being a soldier. See, a soldier is trained to follow orders, to respect authority, and to subjugate their individual thinking process and will to the command of the hierarchy. A warrior, however, is autonomous. Is independent, engages in battle out of choice rather than obedience to a command. How do I know that? Well, I got to take you back to 1 Samuel 17 because there's a little teenage boy there by the name of David who is out in the field tending his daddy's sheep and his brother is engaged in battle with the greatest enemy they've ever seen by the name of Goliath the Philistine. David, who wants to be as any typical teenage boy was, where there's action going on, he wants to see what the action is. So he is invited to take cheese and bread down to his brothers as well as the others who are on the front line that they might have a meal. When David gets down there, David noticed that everybody is in a very frantic, frightened, and fearful way. And the Bible says that as David came, his older brother wanted to know, what are you doing down here? And David said, hey, don't look at me. I'm just here to help you out. I'm just trying to help you bring you some food. But Duke got a question for you. How come all y'all just stand around looking at this thing down here in the valley who is standing and says the writer is taunting the people of God? The enemy has decided to take up the idea that because there's nobody in Jerusalem, in Israel, who can fight me, I'll just taunt them, psychological warfare. I'll just taunt them to the point where I'll make them so afraid of me that nobody will come down and confront me and read 1 Samuel 17 and 18 and nobody went down there to confront Goliath except this little teenage boy who decided by choice when asked, who, who, who is this? What is this? Who is this that is defying the God of Israel? Who, what, what, why are y'all just standing back here? And everybody replied, you don't know who that is. That's the greatest enemy we've ever seen. He is overwhelmingly victorious before we even started the fight. David said, oh, no, no. See, the God that I serve helped me fight a bear. And the God that I serve helped me be victorious over the lion. And David says, listen, uh, I'm not afraid of him. Another thing about a warrior is he is not only trained in the mind, uh, but he's also crazy. Yeah, so you can't be a warrior without having some craziness in you. Goliath is nine feet tall. History tells us in terms of archaeological discovery that David couldn't have been no more than five foot six, maybe five foot seven at best. 
I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't need a PhD to do the math. Nine feet is in no comparison to five foot seven or five foot eight. It'd be crazy to go out and fight someone who is nearly twice the size that you are. But remember what I told you about the badger? It don't have no sense either. It's just as crazy as crazy can be. And David says, I'm going to show y'all what it means to be a warrior. Part of being a warrior is you have to exercise some sense of psychotic elusiveness. You've got to help people realize I ain't got it all together. All the dots don't connect upstairs. I'm a little crazy from time to time. And David says, I'm going to go down and fight the giant. And so with his little wimpy self said well listen if you're going to go down and fight him put on my armor and David said no man that's, that's too big for me I ain't never fought in your armor before I don't know how it operates no I got my own here it is psychotic I got my own mom five smooth stones and a slingshot oh and a prayer Now, let me see if I can deduce this in my own psychological analysis. Let me see. Five smooth stones, a slingshot, and a prayer against a nine-foot giant. And his sword, might I add, weighed 100 plus pounds. Uh, let me see. Hmm. Yeah. Something's wrong with that picture. Something ain't right. And on top of that, why would this fool volunteer to fight the giant? Because when you are a warrior, a good fight is something you like to get into from time to time. It keeps you tuned up and keeps your senses alert and helps you realize how important it is that you stay on track. I said a warrior is autonomous and independent and engages by choice, and the warrior is flexible and adaptable and can be, if necessary, a team player or an independent player. Look what David did. David says, well, it looks like I don't have no team around me. So I got to go at this solo. So what does he do? He takes his five smooth stones and his slingshot and goes down in the valley. And listen, uh, me, I'm going to stay up, up on the hill and holler down into the valley and go live. So you want a good fight, huh? But read 1 Samuel 17. David walks down. I, I told you he crazy walks down and confronts the giant so much so that Goliath says who, 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 what is this y'all send a boy down here to do a man's job just, just bear in mind when I'm finished the birds will have an early lunch because that's just about what he gonna be and David just stands there and says in his own mind, who is this uncircumcised Philistine who defies the army of the Lord? Don't he know who I am? 
And doesn't he know who I serve? A warrior, the God that I serve, eats him not just for breakfast, not just for lunch, but just as a passing by snack from time to time. He doesn't know who I am. And the Bible says that David loaded up his slingshot and released one stone. And one stone hit David, or hit Goliath, right in the center of his cranium, right in his forehead, right where it needs to be, that basically cracked the skull and brought him down to his knees. And what did David do? If you look at David's size, David can no way lift Goliath's sword. But yet the Bible says that he took Goliath's sword and cut off Goliath's head and came back to the camp. And when David got back to the camp, the sisters got together and created a choir and started singing, Saul has killed his thousands, but David done mess around and killed 10,000. If you understand numerology, you'll see that when they said David killed his thousands, that meant that the giant that David defeated represented to them thousands of the legions of evil that would come upon them that they otherwise could never have confronted themselves. A warrior realized that every now and then you got to act crazy. Here's another episode. When David was on the run from his son Absalom, David came to a Philistine camp, and because the Philistines knew that David was a warrior, David acted psychotic, and this is what he done. He let saliva run down on his mouth, and he pressed his head against the city gates. In fact, the Philistines who came to see him says, is this David, the king of Israel, the warrior? But he's acting like he done lost his mind, and David said, I want you to think that I done lost my mind because what I am doing I'm protecting myself against the assault of my son Absalom you don't know that but I know that acting crazy will let you open the door to let me in your space so I can be protected until Absalom passes by and I'm just simply saying David got victory in that moment because he acted like he didn't have a mind he was a bit crazy and every now and then you got to show the devil I ain't all smart I ain't all holy I got some craziness in my mind from time to time and you got to act like you done lost your mind and pray your way out sing your way out word your way out make the enemy think like you done lost your mind because all you know is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus and when you talk about being a warrior that's all you got to know is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus and you got to realize you got to make victory come your way it's already there but you got to claim it sometimes and sometimes you got to act like you crazy and I don't know about you but growing up when I act crazy some people thought oh you want to stay with him he ain't, that boy ain't crazy he ain't right he, he, he needs help and there are some people that you might want to act like you crazy around sometimes so they can stay out of your path because if you don't, people will mistake your warrior-like for weakness. And as a result, you will end up always fighting unnecessary battles. 
That's another thing about a warrior. He picks his battles. He, he doesn't fight everybody who wants to fight. I, I'm not going to waste my time fighting you. There is no profit in the outcome. See, if you read the Gospels, Jesus did not respond to every criticism that he had. He only responded to those that would affect those around him, those disciples. And when he handled that, when folk got to the point where they couldn't handle what he was saying, then they coerced together that they might kill him. But Jesus already knew, That's, that was my lot. That was my journey. My journey was meant to come here and then go to a cross. I got that. But because I'm a warrior... You can't keep a warrior down. Yeah, you see, you might get me on the cross on Friday. But don't, let, don't mess around let me get off that cross. Yeah, see, I get off that cross, you're going to be in trouble. Because yeah. see, when I get off, I'm going to go back to the one place I know that I've been helped. I'm going back to church. Yeah, see, when I go back to church, I'm going to get surrounded by other warriors. I'm going to get surrounded by other singers and other prayer warriors. See, here's your shouting point, then I'm done. Whenever you get to church on Sunday, you got to look back at the devil and say, you messed up. You should have killed me yesterday because I done messed around and got to church this morning. You done mess around and let me got to church this morning. And when I got to church, I'm going to get some folk around me who going to help me pray through. Some people who going to help me sing through. The preacher going to preach me through. The choir going to sing me through. The deacons going to pray me through. And I'm going to shout myself through. You should have killed me before I got to church. Because when I get to church, I'm going to get some fresh joy, some fresh strength, some fresh power, some fresh peace, some fresh understanding, some fresh running in my feet, some fresh waving in my hands. I'm going to get an anointing like I've ever, never had before. And something within me going to get all excited. And when I leave about this place, I'm going to be ready again. Because I'm a warrior for the kingdom of God. I put on righteousness. I put on my helmet of salvation and I put on my robe of vengeance and yet I put on my cloak of passion because I'm not only going to slay my enemy but I'm also going to be used of God to even lead some of my enemies to salvation because Joseph says what you meant for evil to destroy me God turned it around and used it for the good so warriors understand uh, in the life language of David that David fought a battle with Goliath because he saw an opportunity he saw an opportunity to free Israel uh, David Walker wrote uh, eventually what's called the Freedom Journal. When he wrote in the Freedom Journal as he ended up in Boston, uh, that journal so agitated those who were in opposed to slavery that they had to find a way to silence him. So mysteriously, David Walker ended up one day on the front step of his business shop down in Boston dead. 
And to this day, no one knows how he was killed. There's a suspicion that those who didn't like what his Freedom Journal said rose up and found him in the middle of the night early in the morning and slayed him. But that's what happens to the dreamer. On the balcony of the Lorraine Hotel, they had to slay the dreamer because the dreamer was in Memphis standing for the sanitation workers who were experiencing not only unconstitutional efforts but injustices by being paid less than their counterparts. But they had to slay the dreamer because the dreamer also spoke out against the Vietnam War in which America yet to this day have admit it was one of the worst wars that we ever engaged and should not have been involved. The dreamer Joseph, his brothers, tried to slay him, the dreamer. And David saw an opportunity. And when David saw the opportunity, he had to face opposition. He faced opposition because, listen, the only way you're going to be victorious is you have to get through the opposition. But in getting through the opposition, he likewise, perhaps, created again opportunities for others who could see that they are more than conquerors themselves. That's all I came to tell you this morning. You are not only more than a conqueror, but you are a warrior because the God that you serve has deemed you a warrior. So when you leave church today, leave church determined that I am no longer going to take what I took before, I'm going to fight. And if you say, I'm not a fighter, I've never had to fight before, well, welcome to the real world. You're going to fight from this point on. It's the life, it's reality. And some things you won't get, you won't be victorious, you can't break the chain, in the words of David Walker, until you seize your freedom. Seize it. You got to take it. Lord, let the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight. 